Hi everyone, and welcome to one more episode of the All Plane Podcast, where I talk with innovators and entrepreneurs that are transforming the aviation industry. And remember, you can find all the previous episodes of this podcast, as well as many other aviation stories, on our website, allplane.tv. That's a l p l a n e dot tv. Today's guest is Jeff O'Neill, the creator of the Zephyr Seat. And what is special about this aircraft seat? Well, the story of the Zephyr seat starts on one of the world's longest commercial flights, the famous Singapore to New York non-stop run. This was not a particularly comfortable trip for Jeff, so he started to think how the premium economy experience could be improved. And the result was the Zephyr concept which uses a double-decker seat configuration with the seats neatly stacked on top of each other. This quickly captured the attention of the public and a crowdfunding campaign that Jeff launched to get the Zephyr project started managed to attract eight times the amount he had set himself as a goal. Zephyr has also been popular with the media and with investors. And for example, Tim Draper, a prominent Silicon Valley venture capitalist is also an investor in Zephyr. And now the challenge Jeff faces is to convince airlines to buy into the Zephyr concept as well. So tune in for this episode and listen to Jeff's fascinating story and how he plans to get the Zephyr seat off the ground. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Good very evening. well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, not, not evening yet. Uh, we are kind of uh, early afternoon here, but definitely much later in the day than you in in San Francisco where you are based so um, today we're gonna talk about aircraft seating and concepts and because you are the founder of Zephyr Aerospace that is a company that is designing a very innovative concept for cabin seating this is a topic we've touched here previously in this podcast. We had people from, from Acro Studio, for example. I'm going to post a link so that everyone that is interested can, can check it out. But I'm, I'm really curious to, to learn about your project because of two reasons. One is that obviously the, the innovation that is, is, is an intrinsic part of the project. And the second thing is that you are basically crowdfunding this project. So you are kind of a newcomer to this industry. Well, I don't know if you are, on a personal capacity, you're a newcomer, but basically you are an independent company trying to break into the space. So that I find it really interesting. I think just for a, for a starter, can, can you tell us a bit about yourself, um, your background, and how did you start Zephyr Aerospace? Sure. So um, I've, I've been a perennial traveler since I was about 16 years old. I it actually started with an obsession for miles and points, believe it or not. And uh, I'm still one of, uh, a many, I'm one of the many large miles and points collectors. And so I like to optimize things where I can access business and first class experiences for less money. So I very early on, I was actually uh, working with the US Department of State. So I lived in Asia, Southeast Asia, and also, uh, also down in Brazil for about five years. I started a business there and we worked on a marketplace for miles and points. Um, I eventually brought that concept to the US as more of a consulting business and have been doing that for about 10 years. Um, but because I live on planes, one of the things I noticed is that there's so much lacking in very basic 
comfort and uh, I, I think really affordable access to privacy on all the commercial flights that we know today. And so the advent for, for the Zephyr seat really started when I was on Singapore Airlines flight from New York to Singapore in 2017. I didn't have the ability to upgrade to business class and they only offered pre they only offered pre economy class. So yes, yeah, so I was on the Singapore Airlines flight and about four hours into the flight, I kept asking myself, what am I going to do for the next 14 hours? And I tried to get comfortable. I spent five hours trying to find a way for my body to be physically comfortable. And it was impossible. I could not do it. I couldn't fall asleep. And I kept asking myself, why can't we do better? Why is there not a way to provide a more comfortable personal space within the environment of pre economy class? And so that's how this idea got started. Because if I had this problem as a customer, as a traveler, there were many others who probably had the same problem. Um, so I brought this concept into the industry from the outside. I'm not, I don't have a background in seat design or seat engineering or even really aerospace as a whole. Um, but everything around aerospace in terms of servicing and optimization around accessing business and first class products, I became an expert with. So this was an extension of my passion, but also very much trying to solve a problem. And as it turns out, it was a problem that basically every single traveler in the world has experienced um, or will experience sometime in the future when they travel again. It's 2017 and you are in this situation and what were your next steps? Because I guess it's, it's a kind of a complicated industry to break into, right? I mean, there's a lot of certification and red tape. And then there's, of course, all the, all the technical all the technical aspects of it and let alone the commercial aspects because there, there are some very well-established competitors there. I mean, people working on this cabin space for already decades. Yes. Yeah, so what I did was, was really quite funny on the plane, but I usually carry a lot of random things with me. And I had a tape measure inside of my carry-on bag on the plane. So about halfway through the flight, I got up and I started using the tape measure to measure different dimensions of the seat, spaces between the window and the aisle, the overhead bin space and the floor, the width of the seat, the length of the seat, the pitch, everything. And I, and I wrote down these measurements and I took them to a cabin design concept um, firm, at which, which at the time was, was only a few people. And I said, here's what I wanna do. I wanna find a way to spatially redesign the seats that are currently on the plane now. I was flying, at the time, I believe it was an Airbus 350. How can we provide lie flat seats in the same physical environment? So all I was doing was just basically redesigning the real estate footprint. And I, this was sort of an evolutionary concept that, that really started with a bunch of renderings that I put together and ultimately walked around the Hamburg uh, show, uh, the Aircraft Interiors Expo in 2018. And I... I basically stopped a bunch of airlines and said, take a look at this and tell me if you think I'm crazy. And all of them said, this is very interesting. If you can build a mock-up, here's my business card. I will come and see it. So I collected about, about 40 to 50 business cards and I messaged all these people a year later and I had a mock-up built and I had it back at the aircraft interior show. Okay. Can I stop you here one second? So you build a whole mock-up. I did. And you yes. brought it all the way to Hamburg physically. 
I did. I had a, I had a sponsor who gave me some space on the booth. Okay. And I, uh, I had a mock-up built in Paris. Okay. The engineering firm was in Paris. I had it transported by, by train. It was massive. It weighed over almost one metric ton. But it perfected and it showed a lot of the passenger experience I was trying to solve for. And that was the objective. It was not meant to answer or address the certification problems or the questions. It was meant to prove that this space could be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And uh, the feedback from airlines was incredibly positive. Many of them thought I would never be able to actually build something or that I would never build something just, just purely by, by choice because there are so many concepts that are put on, on paper and sort of digitally rendered but never actually constructed. So back to your original question about why I decided to go down this road, knowing what the barriers to entry were. For me, all I know is the technology space. I know the power of software, the power of the internet, and the power of really consumer demand. And I looked at many other concepts that were very loosely related to to the aerospace industry. And I said, look, if, if these people can build space rockets and flying taxis, it really should not be impossible to build a two-level seat on an airframe. I mean, with, with the right engineering and, of course, the right amount of time and patience and money, nothing is impossible. But I realized that I had to prove customer demand, product market fit. So bringing this mock-up to the show was the first step because nobody knew who I was. But they, but they certainly remembered me when they, when they sat inside the mock-up. They knew, oh, this was this, this was this crazy guy that ran around the show, didn't know anyone with a, you know, with a student badge, you know, the year before, and now had a mock-up, had something physical to show us, and had LOPAs, had a presentation, had a technical packet, had VR files, had everything. But I only showed this mock-up selectively to the airlines that agreed to see it. I didn't want to ask everyone to see it. Um, so that was what happened in 2019. And since then, I've been collecting their feedback and incorporating feedback from the airlines into the evolution of this design. Okay. So to summarize, so you, you got the idea, you go to a design studio in the U.S. Did they do the renderings? They did. So I, yeah. I, brought, them the, I brought them the concept. I brought, I, I brought them the sort of strategy behind it, some very sort of cursory drawings. And they turned it into something that was industry specific and very industry ready to show people. So okay. we had hero okay. shots, we had high quality renderings, we had cabin views, we had LOPAs, and we had basically kind of a general CAD uh, two and 3D that, that could more or less show what the structure looked like, how it was attached to the floor, and uh, how you would access the upper and the lower bunk. Mm-hmm. And how long did it take? Well, the original renderings took about three to four months, and I was working with this studio very closely. And then it, it more or less graduated into an engineering project. So then I worked with this, with this firm that, that actually builds mock-ups of uh, seating concepts, both for the automobile industry as well as aerospace. They do a little bit of yachts as well. And I said, I, I want to build this, and I want to put it on a pallet and send it to Hamburg. And everyone thought I was crazy. There's not one person I met that said, this is a great idea. For, for about the first year and a half, everyone thought I was crazy. And I said, well, ju- look, just let me show you the mock-up. Once you get inside of it, then you can give me all, 
you know, you can give me all of your criticism, but until you've seen it, please don't make any assumptions. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what I kept telling myself. That's really what, what kept me going because it, it was a very, very kind of depressing couple of years because I had a great concept that everyone I showed as an end user said, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. You have to bring this to market because I would buy it. You know, my, from my brother, my parents, my grandparents, everyone said I would buy a seat, you know, on yeah. whatever airline would offer this. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, as someone that has worked on, on some projects in the airline industry, I can, <laughs> I can say, yeah, I, normally airlines, especially if they are large, they, they, have, they have their own decision processes can be quite slow. The more innovative the concept is, possibly the more difficult it is to... But see, see, I don't believe that this concept is very innovative. I think it's very logical. If you look at the evolution of aircraft seating, what happened in 1998? Project Dusk was started by British Airways. The CEO at the time had 50 million pounds and said to two product managers, I want beds in business class. Here is 50 million pounds, go make it happen. And the entire project revolved around how do we offer a bed, which was never afforded to a business class traveler, how do we make that affordable and accessible in the business class cabin? They invented what is the modern day bed in business class. They created the standard for the industry. And first class has had to become a little bit irrelevant over the years because it was always difficult to differentiate the experience. What could you offer that really separated a business class customer from a first class customer? All I'm trying to do is take a similar strategy from that playbook and say, given the demand of premium economy class over the past 10 years and how much margin, how much revenue airlines can make from it, it's one of the most lucrative parts of the real estate on the plane. How do we make that better? So we're just bringing down benefits that already exist in other cabins of service and making them more financially accessible. That's all this is. It's basically democratizing access to sleep. And every other mode of transport offers this. Trains, rail, coaches, even military. Commercial aviation has always been an outlier. And if you look at the year 1970 and 1980, Pan Am and TWA and Eastern Airlines, Flying was completely different. These amenities were offered to everyone, even in economy class. So I'm, I'm trying to bring a piece of that back in a very incremental way and saying to airlines very simply, if you already have demand for premium economy class, all I'm doing is swapping in a better product, no loss of seat density, and you can eventually charge more money because when you can offer privacy and a lie flat space, that is worth more to your travelers. They're going to pay you more money. They're not going to pay you as much money for six inches of legroom. That just makes no sense to me. Yeah, I would like to go back later to the, uh, to the commercial aspects of it. But first of all, uh, what can you tell us about the design itself? I mean, for someone that hasn't seen it, I'm going to post some links and, and some images, renderings of of this concept, but how would you describe it to someone that might be listening now but hasn't seen it? So the Zephyr seat is very simply what is traditionally a business class product that offers the ability to sit upright and to lie flat in the same piece of real estate with aisle access and complete privacy. 
it's oriented in a, in a double-decker fashion, which means it resembles what you would find on a train or a long-distance coach or bus. And all it offers is essentially the ability for travelers on very long-distance flights to be afforded complete privacy, space from other travelers, access to an aisle, and the ability to sleep. Above all else, this product is ideal for sleeping because that's really what most people are doing on a 15-hour flight, or that's really what their, what their physical bodies would like them to do. And um, I've seen some renderings. There was, for example, an article on, on CNN that depicted it uh, with a sort of double-decker configuration, people at two different levels. Is this the only configuration, or there's also a one-level option? I mean, what are the different options that an airline would have? To install this in the cabin and what sort of trade-offs you would have because obviously the space is at the premium so I guess if you are allowing people to enjoy more space you are compromising in, in some other way I guess well okay let me go back to your, to your original to your original question so the the renderings of which are actually photos um, from the CNN article are renderings made from the physical mock-up that was built there's also a video in that link that shows me giving a demonstration of the physical mock-up that was built. Um, so you can get a sense of what it looks like being on the upper deck, the lower deck, how you access both levels and what the passenger experience might be like for the traveler. Now, the commercial elements of this are very simple. What we're doing is we are targeting aircraft that specifically fly ultra long haul routes, Airbus 350 and 787. Those are our, what we call our preferred type certificates. And this seat um, currently uh, can be configured in two ways. It can be configured with one, uh, well, actually with, with four uh, bunk beds or four individual seats in the inboard section, which is actually you know, the space between the two seats by the window. And it can be configured only in that section, which means the standard premium economy seats would stay by the windows, which are usually in a, in a two configuration, one side, you know, two side by side. Our bunk beds, because they're two levels, they essentially stack on top of each other, but there's no loss of density because our pitch is, is such that we don't take up additional real estate in the, in, in the actual aircraft. We've configured them very modeled very loosely after a reverse herringbone format, which has become a standard for many business class seats. In the, in the market today. So the ideal configuration for an airline would not change. And in fact, in some cases, it might actually increase. So a standard LOPA for a 787 and a 350 is 232. That's the current configuration for premium economy class. Our product provides 242. Because keep in mind, we have a single seat by the aisle, by each side of the aisle, but we have two levels. So there's one on top of the other. So in, in, in some cases, this actually can increase the density for an airline within the same real estate footprint. And is there enough room on the upper part? Uh, I don't know. I've been so long, it's been so long since I've been in an airplane <laughs> that I, I, yeah. I have trouble now imagining the, even the, imagining the space. But it, to me, it looks like it, it must be really cramped. I mean, if you, 
trying to, to put two levels in the cabin. I, I mean, you obviously have done all the calculations, <laughs> but it looks really good. We have. Um, yeah. No, so, so actually it's not. And that, that is one of the most surprising things that we hear is, well, it looks very claustrophobic and I'm afraid of heights and I'm, I'm probably not going to like it as a, as a traveler. So this seat, um, the very top of the upper bunk rests right below the overhead bin space but it's not very high off the ground. People don't realize, but there's actually a lot of space between the floor and where the overhead bins begin on, a, on all the commercial planes today. So, so we the, just took that space and tried to make it very accessible. Sorry, the overhead bin is gonna remain in the same place? as Yes, it will. It, okay. will. It, 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 it will not be operable because it will obviously restrict some of the space from the upper bunk, but they will remain intact just because it's, it's easier from a design standpoint, but also more familiar for, for travelers when they get on the plane. What about all the safety regulations? Does it have a chance to be certified? What's the feedback you've got? I don't know if you have engaged uh, the FAA. Yeah, we have. Uh, okay, we have. what did they yeah, say? We've, 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 we've gone through, we, we have a committee that's been established from, that's comprised of a special conditions team with the FAA up in Seattle, Washington. Uh, his name is David Sheffield. And we also have uh, some support from the chief engineers of the Boeing 777 and the Boeing 787 at Boeing. And they both, um, they both believe that if we are able to attach this structure low enough and secure enough to the floor um, and pass the pitch and roll tests um, for 16G, and as well as the uh, sort of the onboard evacuation test in the event of an emergency, there's no reason why this seat cannot be compliant uh, to all the current FAA requirements. Now, the most difficult thing about this seat is that there technically is no precedent for it. One of the main things we're trying to do is we're trying to certify this seat to be TTL compliant, which stands for taxi, takeoff, and landing. That means that this is not a space that a traveler would go to after the plane has taken off, has actually taken off. They would actually sit in this seat for the entire duration of the flight. So we're combining that taxi takeoff and landing position with the ability to lie flat. There's no precedent for that. There's no other seat model that's been certified to do that. Sorry, so we have I, to go through it. May I yeah. stop you one second here? So if I understood it correctly, the upper seat wouldn't be in use when the no. plane is take, taking off and landing? No, 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 so. no, 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 okay. no. Both, these, these seats are both in use the entire flight. So when you board okay. the plane, you... You, you are in the lower bunk or the upper bunk, and that's where you sit for taxi, takeoff, in-flight, and, okay. and also the landing. Yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. So uh, because the requirements for a TTL certified seat are different than an in-flight use seat, we have to go through a different certification process. Now, last week, Airbus configured an Airbus 330 flying hospital with two levels of hospital beds. And this is actually flying right now. So there is precedent that this can be certified. We are going through the process with the relevant authorities, but we are also waiting for some support from an airline to contribute to product development with us. We'd like them to help co-author and co-apply for the certification. Because mm -hmm. if we certify this individually ourselves, the cost is very, very high. And we're not even sure that airlines ultimately purchase it. So right now we're trying to, to work on the business model as well as the willingness to pay factor from passengers. And simultaneously, 
working through the certification challenges. So we are currently getting some simulated testing done for the major requirements. Um, and a lot of that can be done virtually through, through you know, different kind of computer methods. And once those results come back, we will know the problem areas. And that might actually have us retweak the, the original design and modify the engineering of the seat. But we're waiting for those results to come back. Those will be about two or three months from now. And how is it that no airline at the moment offer something like this because it, it it might look like in an environment like a like an aircraft cabin where the space is so valuable there there must have been people looking at all sorts of possible combinations ways to optimize space and no one has so far offered this as a as a serially produced option what could be the reason that so far it hasn't been adopted Well, I don't know the exact answer to that, but I can give you some, some ideas I think that I have around that topic. So a number of airlines have thought about offering bunk beds or separate sleeping spaces for economy class travelers. Airbus had a, had a cabin bunk bed concept, which they rendered, which was supposed to be outfitted down in the cargo area of Airbus aircraft. It, yes. that, that project yeah. never took off. There, yeah. there's, there's really no business model for that. I, yeah, actually, I can, I can uh, refer to an article. And sorry for the self-promotion here, but I wrote an article about uh, cabin concepts about three or four years ago. And I was surprised to see that there were quite a few uh, of these kind of outlandish ideas out there for cabin concepts that they were never really adopted. And they all look great. And I guess they all made sense from a technological point of view. It seems that it, it's really hard to, to make the industry adopt these, these very new ideas. It is. And, and I think this is where a lot of, of, of ideas in the industry struggle, is that they all come from inside the industry. They don't come from outside. But many innovations that are, that are in use today, like the overhead bin, that was invented by someone that came from outside the industry. So there, there are many ideas that, that can be looked at and interpreted differently. But I think airlines are programmed to only seek feedback from inside the community which they know. Mm -hmm. And we've, we've looked at different options where we could provide bunk beds only in flight, but it didn't make sense from a passenger experience standpoint and also from a, from a cabin crew standpoint because now they would have to be kind of glorified hotel front desk agents, checking people in and out to by the hour to different spaces to sleep. And Air New Zealand has a couple concepts. They have a sky nest. They have a sky couch. Yeah. But true. Yeah. these these just these don't make sense to travelers. I mean travelers want to board the plane and get into their own space right away. They don't want to leave, have to be have to sleep by the hour, then be woken up, go back to their miserable seat. People mm. want to do everything in, in in the same space. And that's what we're trying to offer. Now I can imagine that many design companies as well as manufacturing companies in this industry are just very risk averse. They don't want or need to take risks because they already have existing customers who are buying things from them right now. So there's no reason for them to stop and think about what the future can look like. Some people choose to do that. And those that do go down a road like myself where things are very challenging and there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of people that say it can't be done. But with the right team, the right optimistic thinking, the right mindset, and the right, I think, observation about what the modern traveler will need 
And now due to, due to this pandemic, what they are going to demand, this is for the first time ever, airlines do not have a choice to wait. They have to deliver a differentiated experience or product. Otherwise, no one's gonna fly with them. Mm-hmm. Pre-pandemic, there was so much demand, airlines didn't need to offer anything really differentiated. But, but now, passengers want and will need something very, very different. And this is very much in line with what that different experience or product will look like. It may not be the perfect product. I'm not saying that this is going to be exactly, exactly the future, but the future is going to look very similar to this, something very similar to Zephyr Seed. Mm-hmm. And you are targeting, you said A3, Airbus A350 and uh, the Boeing 787, right? Uh, on um, premium economy. Right. Correct. So that would be the the sweet spot for Correct. your for your product. And what would be the economic financial case for the airline? Are you expecting them to be able to charge more for those seats compared to a, a traditional premium economy configuration? Um, what's the message that you tell the airlines when you go to see them and speak with them? Well, the main message is this, is premium economy class has grown 470% in passenger demand in the past 10 years. It was launched right after the the economic recession of 2008, and over, I believe, 75 airlines in the world offer premium economy class product today. It is the highest margin or the most lucrative per square foot of real estate on the plane for airlines right now. So the margin that they're getting is the highest of any other uh, class of service, including first class on the plane today. So the airlines already know that it's profitable. Now here's where the difficult part comes in. Right now, premium economy class offers no privacy, no ability to sleep, no ability to even be in an angled lie flat lounge position. Not one product offers that. So passengers have to ask themselves, what am I really getting? for paying on average 100% more than my economy class ticket? What are you giving me that's very differentiated? And the true answer is not a whole lot, not from a hardware standpoint. From a software standpoint, you get better service, maybe upgraded meals, one extra checked bag. Most don't even offer lounge access. So it's very minimal. And travelers are asking themselves, how much am I really willing to pay for an additional six inches of legroom because that's all you get. Nothing more and nothing less. Mm-hmm. So we tried to, we, our, our business model is to convince airlines that that six inches of legroom is not a sustainable business model to continue to ask 100% more in price from travelers in the future. Now in the past, that worked because corporate travelers knew that some of them had a budget. And if they couldn't afford business class, there was always another product that was not economy class for them to choose. So all we're saying to airlines is, if you upgrade that experience and truly differentiate it, your customers will pay more money. I guarantee it. And the reason why is because right now, the demand for business class is completely unknown. After this pandemic, you're gonna have a lot of travelers that permanently change their travel patterns and they will never go back to how they were 12, 14 months ago. That's Mm -hmm. the reality. 
Now, the reality might be very different in terms of the actual numbers, but a, but a large number of travelers are just never going to be able to afford business class. And what airlines are going to have to charge for it in order to, to recoup the money that they need to make is going to be out of bounds for, for a lot of people. So this is meant to be a halfway point. This is not a business class product. This is an economy class sleeper. That's all it is. And it has a lot of trade-offs, as you can see. There's two levels. You have to climb up. It may look awkward. You're going to be served economy class meals. This is a perfectly imperfect product. But that's intentional. Because if it were too perfect, it would compete directly with business class. And this is not a premium product. This is an economy sleeper. And that's how I always tell airlines to market it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And basically, if you got now through the certification process, and let's say you got an airline that says, yeah, let's do it. What would be the realistic time frame? Zephyr Aerospace right now is a design and marketing agency or a company that's trying to bring concepts like this that involve sleep to market. We are right now, we are not in the business of manufacturing uh, seats. That might change, but we have partnered, we have actually identified manufacturing partners that when the time comes are in a position to actually build this and roll it off of a manufacturing line to airline customers or to any customer, maybe a train or a, or a coach company, for example. But the, the standard entry into service timeframe without the effects or delay of COVID would be about four years. Mm -hmm. So because of COVID, we are conservatively estimating that if everything goes well, we're looking at between four to five years for this product to be seen flying in the market. And that's a, that's a typical timeline for a new product. But ours is new plus, 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 because we have a lot of challenges around certification. Yeah. So if we find the right launch airline and we will find them believe me i am not stopping this project until i do find them with that initiative with their marketing and kind of buying power with the airlines or i'm sorry with the with the oems we will find find a find a path to commercialization i believe in about four years i don't believe that covid's going to delay it as much as we all think because i think there's now more than ever a real demand to find what that innovation is going to be and to try to support it as quickly as possible. Let's uh, talk about an, uh, another aspect of your project that I found really interesting, is that you crowdfunded it, right? So you <clears throat> launched a crowdfunding initiative and you managed to gather about $800,000, something like that. And I guess that would help you uh, finance all these uh, mock-ups, all this uh, development work, certification, et cetera. That's, that's exactly correct. So as I said, I'm trying to think of new ways to, to bring this concept to market. And because everyone told me very early on, well, there's no demand for this. People don't care. Customers don't care. I said, no, you're, you're completely wrong. I care about this and, and, and I'm a traveler. So I said, I'm going to try something different. Instead of marketing this concept inside the industry, I want to know what real people think about it, what real customers, people who are, who are going to buy it, have to say to airlines. And so I launched this campaign. It's never been done before. And uh, we created a campaign during the pandemic. And I said, look, it's not the best time, 
but your needs as, as travelers are going to change. Here's a concept that I think could work. What do you think? And if you agree with me, help me raise a little bit of money so I can go to airlines and my meetings with them will be easier to obtain. And they'll also be easier to get through my entire business proposition, you know, so they'll begin to take it more seriously and see the value. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened was we actually raised more than that. But, but on, on that particular platform, we raised about $800,000 and the maximum we can raise legally is a million dollars. So mm-hmm. I think we did, you know, we did pretty well. We had yeah. over 2,500 people who not only told me, I like your idea, but here is some money and go out and make it happen. You reach the goal and you went beyond that goal. And the, the crowdfunding campaign is closed right now, right? Correct. So you, okay. Correct. Yes. We only wanted, we only thought we could raise $100,000. We ended up raising 750% more. Wow, that's impressive. I get, I get emails, I get about 100 emails a month, seriously, of people mm-hmm. telling me, you have to make this product happen. You mm-hmm. cannot stop, you cannot let the airlines break you down or say it's not possible because I want to fly this product if it, if it actually existed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just keep using that as momentum to keep going. But it's also very useful data because when airlines tell me, that their customers don't want this, I can say, well, in fact, they do. And not only do they want it, but they've already given me money to tell you that they want it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the conversation is, is far different. This yeah. is not a concept. This is something that's been vetted with a product market fit and reasonable customer demand. And so mm-hmm. we have to take that and package that and incorporate those funds into product development in order to bring this product to market. And how did you get the word out? How did all these many people find you and find your campaign? Um, there was this, there was this CNN article, of course. There were some other media articles that I've come across when when doing a bit of research on on your project. But I guess those came after this campaign started. So how did you get it going? Well, um, it just takes a lot of time and then just a lot of a lot of patience and a lot of hustle. I didn't pay anyone. Uh, there was no no press. I didn't pay for any press. There was I had no public relations retainer for anyone. I did it all myself. And I mean, I had some help kind of crafting what the ads would look like. But we created a bunch of videos. Uh, we made them Facebook friendly, so people could understand very quickly what what the value proposition was. And we tried to get them excited about thinking in the future when they wanted to travel again. And that was very hard to do right when the pandemic happened and when a lot of lockdowns around the world became, became the new normal. We tried to find a way to inspire people to think about how things can be different and how they can be better. Those are two very different things. Different does not always mean better. And we started with, with one single goal is that our objective is to make sleep affordable in any mode of transport. And that's exactly what this project is trying to do. And there are a number of people who don't fly, they're afraid of flying, so they can see this, this existing in different modes of transport. And that's, that's kind of the goal as well, is, is, is to, to expand this beyond commercial aerospace. But it really just takes persistence. I mean, you just have to keep going and just, just really believe that what this can do can fundamentally change an entire industry. And that's what I'm hoping to do with this. Yeah, that's definitely very, 
very inspirational. I, <laughs> I guess, uh, I mean, I can, I can see how you are absolutely passionate about this project. And I'm, I'm sure if you go to the airlines with this, you know, this conviction and conveying this idea so clearly and with that proof of market behind you, that's definitely something that they, they must be taking into account. So let's see. I mean, that would be exciting to see some, some innovation in the cabin and, and some completely new things. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been, it's been great learning about your project. I don't know if there's something else that you would like to tell the audience. Uh, where can they find about this project, by the way? Do you have a website where they can we do um we are we are building out a new website but for now you can just you can just visit zephyr z-e-p-h-y-r seat s-e-a-t dot com that shows all the all the details of of our last campaign with all the collateral and visuals and videos of what we're trying to create we'll we'll have a new website uh next month and we'll have some more content to share publicly we have been granted the patents for this design. Uh, that happened about a month ago. So we do, we do have something very unique in the industry and we're hoping to continue this project. I will not give up. I promise everyone who's listening to this, I will not give up no matter what until this is proven to be 110% impossible um, because there's always a 10% where things can change. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll keep going until this uh, this project no longer seems feasible or uh, until it's actually installed on an aircraft, which will hopefully not be too much longer. Mm-hmm. Well, looking forward to seeing it and definitely we'll keep an eye on the progress you make because I think, yeah, that would be really exciting to see these new concepts on board aircraft. So thank you so much, Jeff. It's been, it's been great having you today here on the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, thank you to your listeners and thank you to you for your time as well. Before you go, and if you like this podcast, a quick reminder that it would be absolutely great if you could please give it a rating on Apple, Spotify, or whichever platform you're using, or recommend it to a friend or whomever might be interested. Thank you very much and see you soon.